Well, what's the most precious thing you've ever been entrusted with? Now, what's the most precious thing someone has said, you know what, you can, you can have this. You can look after it for me. You can kind of, um, you can hold on to it for me. I remember once a friend of mine lent me a rope. You're like, whatever. How is a rope precious? Well, it was an abseiling rope. Uh, it was a special type of abseiling rope. It was a rope that you could take canyoning, where you jump into big canyons with open tops and, and go down in, in, into the water. That I was taking a group of people into this canyon. But this rope was cool. It floated. Like, you know how important that is? If you drop your rope and you've got more abseiling to do and it sinks, that's a problem. Because you're stuck. You abseil into something and the rope is somewhere at the bottom of some chasm. Anyway, this friend lent me this, this rope and it was an important rope. It had, had lots of values, about 180 bucks worth of rope. It was pretty expensive. It was 60 metres. Um, but it, he entrusted it to me to look after. Problem was, we didn't. Um, we went down this abseil and on the edge of the abseil, the rope kind of wriggled backwards and forwards. About the eight, eight or nine people that were with us came down and it just put a little nick in the outside of the, of the rope. Um, I felt pretty bad in the end. I bought the guy a new rope. Uh, he entrusted me with something that was going to hold up his life in the future. But I didn't really look after it as well as I, I could have. Has anyone ever entrusted you with something precious? Uh, one of the other times I feel like I've been entrusted with something was the first time my dad let me drive his car. Now, his car, um, dad had a number of cars. Uh, we've, Dad's always been into restoring cars, taking old ones and kind of making them look better. And so we had this car that Dad said, guess what, you can drive this. I was like, are you serious? Um, it's a 1935 Dodge. There's a picture of it. Uh, so it was built in 1935. It's kind of pristine condition, goes in shows. That Dad does that sort of stuff. But he let me drive it. And I can remember driving it for the first time. Like, I'd grown up in it. I'd been around it. But, you know, you're like, whoa, I'm actually driving this car that was built in 1935. That's a long time ago. You know, they even built cars then, right? Um, and, and you're like, this is, you've got to be careful, um, you got to be careful because you could just easily... So I was like so nervous nanny, right? Driving along to manual changing gears. The gear was like, you change from like here to like here. It's like massive to change gears, but it's, it's good. And I just remember how careful I was because I was, I was entrusted with something precious. But that was nowhere near as careful as I was uh, with something else. We can get rid of the car photo right now. Um, I remember the moment that I bathed, I bathed my son for the first time. Like a, a baby, newborn baby. I remember standing in the hospital, my, my first child, um, with him in the water, washing him, thinking, what on earth have I done? Like, <laughs> seriously, who would give me a kid? Like, oh, I've got no idea what to do with this stuff. And I'm there, and like, you know, the family's outside the glass window, like, watching, oh, isn't it cute? He's bathing the kid. I'm just going, what on earth is this thing? Like, and you, you get to see, like, this, is, this has been entrusted to me. This is precious this boy Nathaniel means so much. He's, he's alive and he's totally dependent on me, on me and Sarah. Like, he can't eat, he can't feed himself, he can't cook, he can't clean. Like, he's just a newborn baby. They're totally dependent. Um, all they can do, they, they, can't even, they can't even work out how to sleep themselves. You have to teach babies how to sleep. Do you know that? They're just like, they can't do anything. They're totally dependent. That's why kids are called dependents, right? Because they're dependent. Um, if you never put those two together, that's, there you go. Learn something new tonight. Um, the only thing kids do on their own, I reckon, are three things when they're born. It's cry, poo, and wee. That's it. It's what they can do. Sometimes they even have trouble breathing, right? That, that's, they're totally dependent. And you've got a responsibility as someone who's been entrusted a child. I don't know how many of you have kids. Um, maybe some of you might want to. I hope lots of you do want to. Kids are great. Great blessing from God. Um, but 
They've been entrusted to parents to look after them, to, to raise them, to see them eat the right stuff and put the right things in their mouth and do the right things here and there and, and to grow up to be someone who's kind of, well, if it's a boy, a man, if it's a girl, a woman. Um, it's such a privilege to be entrusted with children. But what I want to show you tonight is that if you are a Christian, you have been, you have been entrusted with something that is even more precious than a newborn child. You have been entrusted with something that is even more precious than a newborn child. You've been entrusted with some news, some information about an event or events in history about a man who, if you put your life in his hands, death will not be the end for you or for those who respond by trusting this news. You have the gospel, the news about Jesus. That you can be called right now, if you take this news that you've been entrusted with, if you believe it, you are adopted into the family of the creator of the universe. That's crazy. That you and I can be heirs, co-heirs with the Son, that we will rule the world forever because of Jesus' death and resurrection in our place. There is nothing more precious or powerful than the solution to death, is there? You think about it, even with a child, even with a care for a rope or the concern of what my dad will do if I stack his car, right? The concern in all those areas, I want whatever this thing is to continue and not die. But in the gospel is the solution to death. The forgiveness of everything we've ever done wrong. Is there anything more precious than that? Life forever. That's why Paul and Timothy and Silas, the guys that are writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, that's why those guys went to such extraordinary lengths so that people might hear of this news they'd been entrusted with. Have a listen to what they went through. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our visit uh, with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and we were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. The reason these guys went through such hardship and persecution in Philippi, the town before they came to Thessalonica, was... The same reason that they kept speaking. The words that they spoke that got them in trouble in Thessalonica were the same words they were speaking now. Why would you do that? You just got bashed up. Why, why would you keep saying the same words? Well, because these words were entrusted to them. Did you see that? It's the same reason a parent gets up in the middle of the night to a crying baby. The baby's been entrusted to them and it is their responsibility. It's their child to look after and to see them grow. God has entrusted that child to them. One of my favorite movies is Spider-Man, right? I, I love the Spider-Man movies. This is great, uh, especially kind of uh, the first kind of new one rather than the kind of dark, weirder ones. But there's that line there where Uncle Ben Parker's in the car with Peter Parker, right? Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Sorry if you didn't know that. Um, crash that to you, uh, Clark Kent, but we'll talk about him another week. Um, so Peter Parker is Spider-Man, 
Okay, and he's sitting in the car, and Uncle Ben, who's his uncle, funnily enough, um, he, he's sitting there, and he's just talking about Ben growing up. He doesn't know that, that, so he's just talking about Peter growing up. Peter Piper, now I'm doing Peter Piper, Picked a Pickle. I did this this morning as well. Peter Parker uh, is growing up as a guy, and Uncle Ben's sitting there in the car, you know the scene, and he, and he, and he looks at Peter Piper, Peter Piper. I'm just going to rewind. He looks at Peter Parker and says, with great power comes great responsibility. Such a great line, right? Because he doesn't know the depth of the words that he's saying, that this, this um, nephew of his is actually Spider-Man and has great power. And he says, with great power comes great responsibility. The words that give life after death that have God's power for salvation for anyone who believes in them, have been entrusted to Paul and Silas and Timothy. And with that power, with that precious power that's been entrusted to them, comes great responsibility to share the news of what God has given them. Think about it. This is so crazy. The God who made the world, who is growing and wanting to see his kingdom become bigger and bigger and more people trust in what Jesus has done on the cross, limits himself, limits the spread of the kingdom to 12 pretty average guys, humans like us. Look at humanity's history. We don't have a good track record. You're going to limit the growth of your kingdom to 12 people? And then Paul gets added as this 13th kind of apostle and you're like... You're seriously, God, going to limit the growth of your kingdom to these guys you've entrusted the gospel to? But he does. And so many of the people in this room today believe in Jesus because they got what they had been entrusted with. They got how powerful the news of the gospel was. And so Paul speaks. He speaks of this news they've been entrusted with. No matter what the cost is, he must It's so precious. It's so powerful. If you are a Christian, do you understand yourself as someone personally entrusted with the gospel of God? Do you see what sort of privilege it is to be given this message that brings life after death and forgiveness and offers adoption into God's family? Do you look after it? Do you... Fan it into flames. But hang on a second. Can we really just apply that straight to us? I mean, here in the passage, isn't, isn't Paul saying that he was entrusted um, this gospel from God? And isn't Paul kind of a little bit unique? Isn't he one of the apostles? You know, one of those who've been sent by God. Do you know that's what apostle actually means? It just means sent one. But here, the apostles... They've been given the gospel in a specific way. Have I really been entrusted with the gospel in the same way as Paul? Isn't he different to us? Well, I want to say, yes, he is different. But no, he's not. <laughs> Let me show you. Yes, Paul is an apostle, and you and I aren't. I'm an apostle with a capital A. He's one of the ones that Jesus has sent specifically, uh, like the twelve, to go and make disciples of all nations. To go and tell others about Jesus. And Paul had been given God's Spirit to proclaim the gospel. God the Spirit was in him. Paul was personally commissioned to go and be the apostle to the Gentiles. But so were we in a smaller sense. 
See, we have all been saved in order to be sent to tell others about Jesus. We are all messengers. We're all missionaries in, in some sense. God has given His Spirit to us as well if we trust in Jesus. God has commissioned us to make disciples of all nations. It's implicit in that command. In Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, if I'm going to make a disciple, a follower of all nations, I need to make followers who make followers who make followers. The command wasn't just go and make all the nations one disciple and they all kind of breed out and that's it. It was to make disciples who make disciples. You were sitting in this room today, most probably because someone told you the news of Jesus. And hopefully that person then told you how you can tell others of this news of Jesus and more than that, to keep growing in your love and knowledge of Him so that you might make disciples who make disciples of all nations. We've been called to share this news of Jesus. Peter, one of the other apostles, says it in, in 1 Peter 2.9. Let me read it to you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession. Why? So that you might proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You are a Christian so that you might praise God and say, do you see what He has done for me? Do you see the depth of His love for me? the extent of His forgiveness for me. Do you see He's done that for you too? To proclaim the praises of the One who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. As a church, uh, we kind of have five kind of key purposes that we're about. Five things. We've got this diagram up there. We're about... um, uh, magnification, showing how, how great God is, mission, um, membership, loving and caring for one another and, and the church community. Um, then we've got maturity, growing in our love and knowledge of God to be more like Jesus. Then we've got ministry, identifying, equipping and training people to be more like Him. We see that biblically, these are the purposes for which the church exists. And one of those key purposes that we hold as a church is mission. Uh, we say mission is this, um, proclaiming the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as missionaries saved and sent by Jesus. Why? Because we've been entrusted with the gospel. Because you have been entrusted with the gospel. Paul, Timothy and Silas had been entrusted with this precious and powerful news and so they spoke. Have a look at the effect and just hear the power of these three words. Verse 4, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Do you see the significance of those last three words? Imagine if you just went, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we sat. Because they spoke, you today might know the truth of this news. If they did not speak, if those 13 people never spoke of who Jesus was and what he had done, there would be no possibility of anyone living forever other than Jesus. So we speak. We've been entrusted. So we speak. To be entrusted with the news of the gospel means we must speak it. We must share it. To be entrusted with such a a precious thing and not share it, I think it's a little bit out there, but I think it's paramount to child abuse. What do you mean? Well, to be entrusted with a child and not treat that child properly, to neglect that child, it's wrong, right? 
it's wrong. You can't do that. It's called child abuse. You've been entrusted to care for a child. And if you don't, there are issues with you. So it is with the gospel. If you've been so freed from serving yourself and freed from sin and death, if Jesus has really died for you and you know the news of who he is and what he's done, if he really rose from the dead, how can you not tell others? How can we keep that news to ourselves? How can you walk down the street and see people like lemmings just going to hell? I think Paul here, he's not writing to guilt people into sharing the gospel. And that's not my intention tonight at all. He's not writing to beat us up or the Thessalonians up to say, you know, get back to it. You know, share the gospel or else. He's not adding something else you've got to do as a Christian. He's not trying to make you feel bad. He's writing this to encourage you of how precious and powerful this news that you know is. So it's easy to stand back and just go, look, man, I look at the way that Paul acted. Silas and Timothy, like those guys are machines. They got smashed and they still told people about Jesus. Like these guys are the SAS soldiers. Shane, one of the guys uh, is, is amongst us at Uni Church, who's in the, in the Air Force. And he was saying that New Zealand's SAS soldiers are known as some of the best SAS soldiers in the world. Uh, New Zealand's Defence Force, these, these, are like, these guys are machines. And recently won medals for doing great things in service. These, these guys are like human tanks. <laughs> they just get done what they need to get done. Uh, they're, they're kind of the heroes. And it's easy to look at Paul and Silas and Timothy and go, I can't be anything like them. Look at them. Those guys, they're they're huge. But I want to encourage you because Paul doesn't point to himself as a hero, nor Silas, nor Timothy. It's not like they think they're superheroes. In everything they did, you see one hero shining through and that hero is God. The same God who's entrusted the gospel to us. Did you notice verse 2? We were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. He doesn't say, we were awesome. We we had great opposition and we spoke it because we're great. Because we're the man, you know. He didn't say that. He points to the God who entrusted him with the gospel and the God who emboldened him to speak the gospel. All the hard work's on God here. Do you see that? Do you see how encouraging that is? It's God who prompts us, who pushes us. If we just open our mouths and are willing to let him use us. So the message here is not suck it up and work harder at sharing this news that you've got. No, no. It's do you see how amazing this news is? Do you see the God who works in you and through you to proclaim this news? Trust him. Take his word seriously. He's the king of the universe. And take that responsibility and that privilege of being entrusted with it and share this news of Jesus. Will you do that? Will you take seriously that call to pray for opportunities to share the gospel with your friends? To pray for five people daily. Why do we do that? Some of us here, we've been praying for opportunities to share the gospel with five people daily. We've been praying for that. Why? Well, not because we want to treat people as projects, because we want people to live forever. We want our friends and our family and our 
colleagues and our neighbours to know the hope that we have. If, if you're here tonight and you aren't a Christian and you're like, whoa, this feels a bit weird, they're talking about me. Yeah, we are because we love you. We're not trying to do this in any way to be like, a, you know, some, like you're some sort of project of ours. Someone once showed us the amazing news of who Jesus was. We're historically convinced of what he's done. And so we want to share that news with you. We want you to see the hope of what Jesus has done. So please don't take it as weird. Take it as, and we care. We actually want to share our lives with you. But sometimes in our eagerness to share the news of Jesus, we get the gospel wrong. I don't know if you've ever felt the temptation. As you're chatting to people and you're like, oh, if I tell them just plain and simple what the Bible says, they're going to react, they're going to respond against that. Uh, and so we, we kind of, we might kind of tone it down a bit and not say the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Or, or sometimes out of apathy, we just leave bits out and we're like, oh, we just don't even say anything. And we're tempted to reshape what the gospel looks like, to leave bits out. Now, I'm not saying that every time you talk to someone about why you believe, you've got to basically go through a massive, long, systematic theology. Let me tell you, let's firstly start with our view of God. Then we'll move to our view of man. And then we'll think about salvation. And then we'll think about eschatology. We use all these ology words. No, 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 no. We want to point to Jesus. We want to, everything we want to say about Jesus needs to be true. And so Paul reminds the Thessalonians about the way in which the news came to them. And what we see is that it wasn't just that this news came at a distance. It's that they embodied the news. The news kind of changed the way they spoke about this thing they'd been entrusted with. They actually lived it out. Not from a distance. That they, they lived out the gospel up close with the Thessalonians. Have a look at verse 8. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. You can't share the news of Jesus without getting your hands dirty in relationships with people. You can't share the news of Jesus from a distance. Paul's like, you've got to live amongst them. You've got to be there. I mean, we can't just like flash up some guy on TV saying blah, 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 and then everyone's suddenly Christian across the world. We're like, sweet, done. You know, we can't jump in like aircrafts and fly over New Zealand and just drop little gospel packages and be like, right, everyone's converted, awesome, I'm going to go back to my jacuzzi and sit in Rarotonga and live it up, you know? Um, the way that God has, has made this is that the news of who Jesus is, is impacted through the way the gospel changes our lives, the way we live it out. So Paul says, we're, not, we, we're pleased not only to share the news, the, the news about Jesus, but our own lives, our walk matched our talk, and you saw that. I think sometimes uh, we can have the idea that we can just tell someone about Jesus once, and we're like, great, good, go off and be Christian. And then we kind of move on and be like, awesome, back to my old, old thing. Paul's calling us to get our hands dirty in relationships with people. You can't live in a Christian bubble. You can't have so many, just, just your Christian friends, that you're not impacting the world around you. You're just kind of living in this Christian haven. That's not the way Paul is. He's, he's in the lives of people who don't yet know Jesus. Think about it for a moment. How many friends do you have? How many people are you sharing your life with who don't yet know Jesus? 
If there aren't many, that's a problem. For you've been entrusted with something that's better than the cure for cancer. Life forever. And there's probably some friends in your life that you haven't shared that with. I once heard a guy, his name's Rico Tice. He was a rugby player. Didn't want to talk too much about rugby tonight, but it's one night I can as an Australian. But we'll leave that right there. Just don't talk to me about, don't talk to me about cricket. Um, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Just move right along. Australia's great at cricket. Um, <coughs> Rico Tice is his name, and he's a, he's a professional rugby player uh, playing for England, I think. It might have been Wales. Anyway, one of those two. Um, in my head, they're the same. Um, sorry. Uh, but, but he's playing for them, and he's got, he's got a roommate that he's going around with playing rugby, and he's great mates with this mate. Anyway, uh, Rico's also a Christian, and he's uh, occasionally been giving talks at different places for people to hear about the news about Jesus, and he, um, anyway, this mate of his, who's a roommate, eventually gets a tape of one of Rico's talks, and he listens to the tape, and hears what Rico believes about the news of Jesus, and... Um, and he just kind of shuts down. And the guy that gave him the tape said, you know, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, I can't believe it. He's like, what do you mean? Rico's your mate. He's like, he's not my mate. And the guy goes, why isn't he your mate? He said, well, if he really believes what he said and he's never shared it with me, then he can't love me. Boom. <laughs> I think about how many of my mates who I care about, I've just kept the Christian part of my life out of the limelight. It's hard to do as a pastor, but hey, I'm not talk about those things. Are there people in, people in your life that you need to live up close with, to share all your life with? We need to get our hands dirty, and that costs. Secondly, the way they embodied the gospel, the way they lived out this news, was with determination. Like these guys were determined, right? They had the God-given guts, remember? And it wasn't just them, it was the God-given guts. They got the, the, the powerful nature of this gospel so they would not be silent. Uh, they, would, they would press on no matter what, no matter, how time, no matter how many times they got knocked back. As you look through um, Acts, you see what happened in Philippi to these guys. And I tell you, it's, it's bad. They were humiliated, they were arrested. They were then stripped naked and flogged in public. What for? For the proclamation of this news that there is a God and a King and His name is Jesus. They were then beaten, mobbed. They then were imprisoned and chained and get this, left unconscious. They were knocked unconscious by people for for proclaiming the news of Jesus. You think at that point you'd give up. I know where I'd want to be. But they so knew the pervasive power of this news about Jesus that when they came to Somehow the jailer became a Christian. How did that happen? They kept sharing the news of Jesus. The jailer, the guy who's holding them there, becomes a Christian. Will you endure in sharing the news you've been entrusted with? Knockback after knockback after knockback. If you're here checking out Jesus and you're thinking, what's this Christian life like? It's hard in that people don't want to believe that there's another God apart from ourselves. We love to rule, I love to rule my life my way. And when you say there is someone else we are responsible to and we need to listen to, we're like, oh, stuff that. It's going to be hard, but here's the thing. If it's true, then we need to listen. 
Will you keep persevering when it seems like there are no opportunities? Will you pray for opportunities? Or will you let them make you go apathetic? But here's the encouraging thing. The same God that you and I serve, the same God who spoke this message that's been entrusted to you, the same message that you have that, is, that has been entrusted to you, has seen millions upon millions upon millions of people move from darkness to light because they have heard that message and put their trust in Jesus. And you will spend an eternity because these guys spoke. And the guys they told about this Jesus spoke and they spoke and you heard. That is a powerful, powerful message, isn't it? Paul, Silas and Timothy shared the gospel in a way that was determined, but its determination didn't distort the message. Paul wants to remind the Thessalonian church that in no way did they come with kind of dishonest thoughts or dishonest motives, that when they came, they really wanted to hold out the truth of the gospel. You know how it is. When you want to convince someone of something, you really want them to know, and so you start kind of fudging the figures a bit. You start saying, no, it's all awesome. There's, it's, there's nothing hard about being Christian. Just come. It'll be great. And you kind of you hold out some of the hardships. You fiddle the figures. You make it look more appealing. That is not what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did. Have a listen. Verse 3. For our exhortation didn't come from error, or impurity, or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but rather God, who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people either, from you or from others. It was just the plain old truth. Nothing fancy, nothing special, just the truth, plain and simple. Uh, There was no error there. They didn't fudge the figures. They were honest. They didn't make this stuff up. This is no fairy tale. They've just kind of concocted a story about some guy who died and rose again and, ha ha, funny joke. No, 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 this is the truth. It's grounded in the truth of history. These events happened and, and they shared them not from impure motive, not to deceive people, not with flattering speech, but to help people to see the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. There should never be any shady methods, no arm twisting in the way that we try and share the news of Jesus. No bargaining. Like sometimes I've thought to say to people, hey, why don't I just give you 50 bucks? You know, give you 50 bucks, you come and hear about Jesus. You promise you come to church for a month, you come to explain Christianity. And they might become Christians, right? No, they're just coming to get 50 bucks. That's, that's not right. That's, that's kind of deceptive. It's the bait and switch. They just want 50. They don't want to know about Jesus. We need to speak the truth because it is true. Do you know that? The gospel is true. It's not a truth. It's the truth. It's true for everyone. It's not just true for the people in this room. Oh yeah, we like to believe Jesus died and rose again. That's, that's the, no, no. It's true for everyone in this city, everyone in this country, everyone in the world. Jesus really did live and die and rise again. It's, it's, it's truth. And so we need to hold that truth 
For every person in the universe was made by God. Every person must respond to that God. We must deal with the fact that we've turned our backs on Him. Jesus' death is sufficient for everyone on the face of the planet to offer you forgiveness, to have life found in Him. He has died your death. We turn our backs on God, but He's done the time. We did the crime, and He's offered us life. That's the truth of, of what the Bible has said. Not only has He offered us life, He's, he's risen again and defeated death. Only in Him can you have life. That's the truth. Paul was so confident on it because he was so convinced that it was true, that these things happened, that Jesus was who the Bible says he was. It's not a truth like other true things. You know how we go, you know, gravity's true. It's great. Um, Gravity has some sort of impact on us, right? It's holding us in your chair right now. I'm thankful for gravity. Sometimes I'd like to fly, but I'm pretty much thankful for the fact that we're sitting in our chairs. Gravity has an impact on us. But this truth is not just having an impact on us, it's about you. Jesus died to pay for your sin because you turned your back on God, as did I. This is a truth about you and your friend and your neighbour. It's a truth they need to hear and we need to hear. So Paul speaks regardless of what others say, because he speaks to an audience of one. The person he cares about, the opinion he cares most about, is that of God's. I find this such a helpful reminder. See, every time I get up to talk to people and speak, I've got all these kind of faces that pop into my head, people that I'm trying to please. You know, there's um, the people who are my mates, so I'm kind of like, yeah, I want them to be happy with what you say and what you're kind of ch- talking about. And then there's people that you want to help in church to kind of grow. And then there's all my Bible college lecturers, right? The really geeky guys that you want to impress. You're like, yeah, yeah, I could say it this way. I could point out that thing and they'd be impressed with me. You know, there's all these people going around in my head. And then there's, I want everyone to be happy. I don't want to offend people. No, people going, oh, you arrogant jerk, shut up. Like, I want people to hear the news of Jesus and at the same time want it to be compelling. And I've got all these competing people in my head. Paul says, shut up, Rowan, it's only one that matters. And it's me. God says, and it's God. It's putting God as the one in whom we need to please with all that we say. What's so encouraging is that we don't need to worry about all the other voices around in the world. For none of those other voices will be judging where we'll spend eternity. None of those other voices have died in your place, have paid the price for you turning your back on God, have offered you life and forgiveness, only one, and that is God. How I need to be continually reminded of that. If only I would always live my life to please Him, to speak of the news of Jesus, to, to please God. And my guess is you're pretty similar. You know, who, who are you trying to impress? When you speak about Jesus and you live your life and you act the way that you do as a Christian, who are you trying to impress in your mind to make them say, oh, what a great Christian you are. Isn't that great the way you share the gospel? 
It's awesome that you're some three-letter acronym, whatever it is, CSL, ABC, whatever, you know? Who even knows what that is? Who are you trying to impress? Because the one we need to be living to please is the one who will judge all things at the end of time. And he knows our hearts. We can't trick him. We can't be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm doing this for you, God. He's like, you fool, Rowan. Of course you're not. You care about what they think. (laughs) He He sees straight through us. Paul says, in the way we speak about Jesus, we're to please God. Not our lecturers, not our family, not our friends, not even to do it in a way that that gets everyone... We're to answer to one. And He sees everything. Who are you trying to impress? Well, Paul then explains the fourth way that he embodies the gospel and the way they share this news of Jesus. And I think as a guy, I find this a little odd. I kind of find it hard to think this way, but let's give it a go. Um, He uses the image of a mother. He says, we embody the gospel to you guys as a mother, and not just any mother, but a nursing mother, a breastfeeding mother. I'm like, all right, this is weird. But all right, let's let's go with him. Verse 7. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day so that we would not, be, so we would not burden any of you. We preach God's gospel to you. And what's going on with that? How were they like a nursing mother to them? Well, I think the way they were like a nursing mother was that they didn't ask for anything. That was self-sacrificial in proclaiming the news of Jesus amongst these Thessalonians. See, as preachers of God's Word, as preachers and pastors, they had every right. Jesus had given them every right to ask for food and lodging and pay from the, from the Thessalonians. Now, if you have a look at 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says that this is a right for the preachers of the gospel, that they should be free to be able to do this work. Um, that those given to preaching and teaching should be supported by those that receive that encouragement, right? Check it out in our small groups this week, Connect Groups. Uh, if you're not in a Connect Group, there's a small group that meets throughout the week, um, looks at the same passage and thinks through what does it mean for us, how do I live this out, is the guy at the front really true in what he says, is that really what the Bible said or is he on some other planet? Right? That's what Connect Groups are about. And if you're not in one, fill it out in your little card, say, yeah, I want to join one and we'll, we'll get back to you. But in Connect Groups this week, we'll look at that a little bit. Um, John Piper says, it's, he says on this, on this part, he says, it's funny, this is the point where Paul comes closest to disobeying Jesus. Where Jesus says that um, the preacher has a right to, to have an income from the preaching of the word, Paul goes, yes, but we are not going to hold that right. Because we want to be amongst you someone who embodies the gospel in a way that you don't feel like there is anything we're trying to get back. That there is no burden um, it's funny, some people go, oh, you know, Paul Paul's a bivocational pastor. Pastors should be bi- bivocational. Like, he, he did tents and he preached the word. Like, Paul wasn't bivocational. He was one vocational. He was a tent maker. That's how he got his money. He didn't get it any other way from these guys. He, just, he made tents and he preached the gospel in every other point. But I think what he's trying to show us here is this image of, of, of a nursing, a breastfeeding mother was the way that they cared for and nurtured and fed the Thessalonians, not to get anything back. Why use that image? Because I think 
A breastfeeding mother is a phenomenal image of self-sacrificial giving. Like, think about it. They get up every three to four hours and feed a baby who can do nothing, change their nappy, or whatever they did before nappies were around. Who knows? All right? And literally, the mother is just being drained. The baby's not like, oh, here, mum, have a carrot. They've got no carrots. They've got nothing to give at that point. And the mother literally is just feeding this child and nourishing this child. And there's nothing the mother gets back. She might, down the track, as the child grows, get a smile. And be like, wow, this kid's really growing. (laughs) But, you know, it's kind of like 100% mother pouring out, being drained, 0% child giving. And Paul says, that's what we were like amongst you. We came and just gave you. We gave you the news that brings life. We, we, we poured out our lives. We lived amongst you. And we didn't ask for anything back. We didn't take anything back. Why? Because we wanted to model to you the God who loves us. The God who gave us everything and didn't require anything back. Do you see that? Jesus came and died on a cross while we were still his enemies. He wasn't like, oh, you know what? You guys down there, if you kind of obey me a little more and you follow me and do this stuff, if you kind of sing praises to me on a Sunday and you say nice things, you know what? I might save you. That's pretty good. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. (laughs) No. Jesus died for us while we wanted nothing to do with him. Well, none of us were even alive. He died on a cross and paid the penalty for our sins. And what do we give back? Nothing. How do we respond? We just say thank you. And God finds pleasure in being so generous as to save us and to see us grow because of his work in us. The God of this gospel is 100% God. And our response to that is really, it does, it's because of nothing that we've done. That's one of the reasons why at Uni Church we don't pass a plate round. You know, sometimes you go to churches and they pass a collection around and say, let's, get, let's gather funds for the gospel because we want people to come along and, and hear that the gospel's free. The news about Jesus doesn't require you to give to the church. That's not how you get right with God. We want people to go, no, to, it's been offered at the massive cost of Jesus' death on a cross. To give money to say, oh, how much do I owe you? Ten bucks, God? For my salvation? That's just offensive. Who does that? It's one of the things I actually felt a little bit uneasy about when we had um, tear and compassion here, uh, which was great to have those guys talk about the work of compassion and what they were doing. Uh, And I've had this discussion with them, so not saying anything kind of behind backs, but I felt like in the way they put the stuff together and what was said from up the front from those guys, it was a little bit uh, emotionally manipulative. I feel like we're saying that these kids that we're looking at on the screen, unless you give money right now, they're just going to not have an education and be bums and you really need to give right now. Uh, and I just felt like, oh, you know, if you'd invited a friend along to, to kind of hear about who Jesus is and what he's done, it was possible they could have walked away from that night saying, the way to be a Christian is to give to the poor. That I can actually be in right relationship with God if I kind of come along and I, and I give money to the poor. That makes God happy with me and then I'm, me and God, we're right. That's not the truth at all. That's a distortion of the gospel. Now, so the guys out the front were distorting the gospel. They weren't at all. They were showing, uh, uh, speaking to it, kind of, a, they thought Christian people who were here, which there were some. And I think we needed to apologize to you as a church for not being more diligent in chatting about the way they'd speak from the front. 
But I think there is a sense in which that could have come across to people in a way that if I give, then I can get right with God. Make God a little more happy. So I want to apologize for that if you brought someone along and that was a stumbling block. And please pass it on to them. And say, look, now the gospel's free. Why don't you just to come and check out who Jesus is? At the same time, I want to encourage us as Christians, because we've been saved by the gospel, to love like Jesus loved in a self-sacrificial way. If we have funds that God has given us, we can be generous, but not in order to be saved, but because he has saved us. Well, the last way that Paul embodies the gospel is like a father. For the females here, maybe that's a bit tricky for you to kind of understand. What does he mean by like a father? By embodying the gospel like a father does. He talks about encouraging and comforting and urging. And as I think back to my dad, um, you'll have different views of, of your kind of upbringing. And some people have been in great families. Some people have been in really awful families. But I had the privilege of growing up in a family where my dad encouraged me. He comforted me when I was stressed out and said, it's okay, look, look to these things that are true. Uh, he urged me to not be an idiot and, and to live in a way that was good and rather than being stupid. That's kind of what good fathers do. It's what our heavenly father has done. Comfort us with the news that even though we've sinned, there is life available in Jesus. Encouraged us to say, it's okay, I've got it. It's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done. Trust me. He's carried us through. But he's also a God who urges us. The type of urging that's saying, you need to take seriously this news of who he is and what he's done. Like Paul said to this Thessalonian church, turn from idols. Stop worshipping that other stuff and worship God. It was a strong word. I remember just last year, I was watching our boys um, ride their push bikes on the driveway. We've got a fairly long driveway at our place. And I'm riding on the driveway, going out towards the road and kind of turning around and coming back. I remember standing there watching it, and Nathaniel, our eldest, he's riding out towards the road, but he just looks like he's not going to stop. He's kind of pedaling away, like totally oblivious to the outside world. Like he's like a Volvo driver. There's kind of, that's what, it's Volvo drivers, right? Totally oblivious to the outside world. They just drive because they're the safest car in the world. They don't need to worry about anything else, right? So he's just like riding along in this up the driveway, and, and I kind of see this car coming. I'm like, he's not going to stop. And so, at the top of my voice, I go, Stop, Nathaniel! Stop your bike now! I was like, whoa, what'd you eat today? Like, looks at me, why would you say something like that strong? I'm like, dude, there's a car coming. And if you rode out there, you'd be like a pancake. I needed to say to you, stop right now. Stop the direction you're going. Hear my word or you'll be flat. You'll be dead. And he's like, oh, okay. And he keeps riding his bike. Paul, Timothy, and Silas spoke to the Thessalonians like a father with encouraging words, comforting words, but words that urge them. And tonight, I hope words that urge you. Have you heard the news that Jesus is the only way to God? He's the only one who's died in your place. That the only way you can have life forever is by trusting in what he's done and serving him as he really is the true and living God. Maybe tonight is is an opportunity for you to say, I'm in. I get it. (laughs) I'm sorry for turning my back on you. I'm sorry for not treating you as the king that you are. Please forgive me and save me. Or maybe for you, you have heard that message. 
that truth has been entrusted to you. And the urging you hear from Paul, Timothy and Silas tonight is, so speak. You've been entrusted with the news that brings life forever. So speak it. Keep trusting it and speak it to those around you. Live in such a way that makes God look good. It shows the truth of the gospel that's determined, that's humble, that's nurturing, and it is about others' good to live in a way that the gospel has so captivated you that you can't help but share it with those around you because with great power comes great responsibility. And friends, the news of that gospel has been given to you. And what we do with it, whether we reject it or accept it, whether we let it take home in our hearts and our lives and we share it, is really up to us. The question is, will you let God speak through you so that others might hear of this hope of Jesus? Will you come and put your life at the feet of the creator of the universe and trust him? It's my prayer that tonight, it, that's a yes for you and for me. That we would walk away from hearing God speak, not being like, oh, that was good, God. But man, I want to live for you. Let's pray. Father God, tonight it is such a privilege <laughs> as we reflect on the news that we've been entrusted with, to know life, to know with absolute certainty that Jesus has lived and has died and has offered us life forever. We pray that tonight, that that truth would fan into flames our desire to share the news with those around us. We pray for opportunities to talk to our friends, not as projects, but as people we care about. We pray that the truth of that news would impact us. And for those of us here tonight, Lord, that are still thinking through the things of Jesus and haven't yet committed to Him as King, we ask that You would show them so clearly the phenomenal power of the news of what He has done and the great hope that is offered because of Jesus' resurrection. And the reality that Jesus is the King, the one we need to serve. And so we pray, Lord, that your will will be done through us. That you would use us in whatever way we see fit. That you'd take our lives and through us be pleased to see people come to know you. That we'd be able to live not at a distance from the world around us, but up close. That our walk would match our talk. So that in the end, people might see you. Father, we pray that tonight, through the work of your spirit and your word together, that we would live in a way that pleases you and you alone. We pray this for your son's name's sake. Amen.